Well, hello, lovely humans, and welcome to Engage, a wedding planning podcast for the modern day couple. I'm your host, Jamie Wolfer, and I truly believe that wedding planning does not need to be complicated or time consuming. I kind of picture these episodes like jumping on a quick phone call with a wedding planner. You get your answers and you go on your merry way because sometimes not all of us have an hour to dedicate to listening to super long podcasts or super long intros. So without further ado, let's just jump right on into it. Today's episode is actually a audio recording of one of my most popular YouTube videos. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to sit down and be able to process through the audio without the distraction of a video. So we decided to take this sweet little nugget and turn it into a podcast for you. I hope you find this helpful my friend. Wedding planning can be like stupid expensive. <laughs> like really, really, really expensive. And I don't have to tell you that. You clicked on this video because you saw the word budget tips and you're like, yes, ma'am, I need some of those. So I tossed together 21 of my top favorite budget saving tips to plan your wedding. Now the following list is 21 items in no particular order, just some of my top faves. So without further ado, let's just jump right on into it. We all know that wedding planning can be expensive. Those costs can pile up really, really quickly. So sometimes looking around and trying to find areas that you can cut back on or cut down in can be really effective to making sure you are maintaining your budget as much as possible. You don't have to do all 21 of these. You can pick and choose, you can mix and match, or you can literally ignore everything that's about to come out of my mouth. I don't know. Tip number one, DIY. This is a very common one. It is tossed out with frequency. I DIY a lot of things here on this channel. I DIY'd a lot of things for my wedding. I probably would have done a few things differently, but I happen to love crafting and using this channel as an excuse to do that every once in a while. Twist my arm. I don't mind doing that. But it can be a very slippery slope to go down. So make sure you're DIYing with intention. I have something called the 60-40 rule. Do not DIY more than 40% of your wedding stuff. Like whether that's DIYing your centerpieces, your invitations, your dress, your appetizers. Some people like to DIY those or your bar. Whatever that looks like, try not to take on more than you can. We talk about it a ton here on this channel. I will have some of the DIY videos that might help you out in the description box below if you want to take a peek at those. But when push comes to shove, making something on your own can potentially be cheaper as long as there isn't like a really big buy-in or you have to spend a lot of money to pull the DIY off. If you're creative with this and you decide to do it yourself, you can save a lot of money. Tip number two. This probably should have been tip number one, but again, like I said, they're not in order. Stick to your budget. My mom used to say this thing where she'd be like, the best way to save money is to not spend it. And I used to, oh my gosh, it would drive me nuts as a teenager just to be like, mom, I get it. You're so astute with your finances. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, the best way to save money is to not spend it. If you have a budget that you want to stick to, you got to actually stick to it. Now, you're going to want to make sure that you are tracking this in a really effective manner or putting your budget together with some professional insight would be my biggest recommendation. That's why we have an entire section of the master plan and an entire spreadsheet with formulas put into it that will tell you how much you should be spending on each category based on your specific budget. I will link the master plan up here if you want to check it out. It is the most incredible tool and resource. People rave about it to this day. They're absolutely obsessed with it. And when you see the cost for a monthly subscription and how low it is, you will think that it's a joke, but it's not. It's genuinely that inexpensive. If you want to have a budget, you have to stick to it. You need to be able to set this up first. You need to take advantage of professional support like the master plan or something of that nature to put this budget together. But if you have a strict budget for $2,500 for your photographer, don't go above that. And if you do, for whatever reason, because, you know, this is your event and I'm not your mom, but if you do go above that, just recognize it's not going to inherently make anything cheaper. 
set your budget, do your best to stick to it. Which segues perfectly into tip number three, be prepared for unforeseen costs. There's a whole section in this budget spreadsheet on the master plan, there is a 10% miscellaneous funds category. And I get a lot of, oh, I don't need that, it'll be fine, miscellaneous stuff won't pop up, or we'll be prepared for it, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. When I tell you that, like, well, for, first of all, when I do this for a living, like, <laughs> there will be very likely unforeseen costs. Now, unforeseen can mean a lot of different things. That doesn't necessarily mean that the industry's out to get you and they're just gonna price gouge you and get all your money out of you. But we just recently did a video on the wedding tax. You should probably go take a little peek see at that. But these unforeseen costs can be taxes. They can be fees that maybe you weren't anticipating, sure. Or it could be, I thought I was gonna DIY this, but I've run out of time and energy and now I just wanna throw money at it and make it go away. Or I wanna add this on, or I totally forgot that we have to pay for a marriage license. All of these miscellaneous things are listed out in the master plan as well. So it'll help jog your memory to be like, am I paying for this? Do I have money set aside for this and this and this and this and this? Or I thought I could get by without having transportation, but now it looks like I need to hire some car to get us from point A to point B and I didn't have money set aside for this. All of those are unforeseen costs. It's not necessarily just because a vendor is adding on an unprecedented fee, although you might not have been prepared for that but it could be a myriad of reasons. Tip number four, forego all inclusive. It can be extremely tempting to go all inclusive. We've talked about that here on this channel before, where if you don't have a lot of time, but you do have money to throw at this, fantastic. Go to a one-stop shop, go to a place that has required or preferred vendors where you can literally just like, you know those sushi restaurants where you check off on a menu what you'd like to eat for like the, that, you can go to a place like that, but it's very likely gonna cost you more money to do that specifically. In fact, a girlfriend of mine calls it a turnkey venue where literally you just turn the key, walk in and it's ready to go. That's a great definition for that. Or you can go to something like a shell venue, which is literally just a shell and you bring in all of the resources yourself. You will either spend the time or you will spend the money. What do you have more of? Both of them are finite. Both of them have an end point. So if a budget is your goal, be prepared to spend a little bit more time doing some cost comparison of different vendors, venues, rentals, etc., and going with more of a shell venue type of thing, or maybe they have tables and chairs, but you can still bring in your own vendors because it allows you the breathing room to make different decisions with your finances, as opposed to the all-inclusive option, which is great, beautiful, glorious. We love that for them, but it may not necessarily be in your budget. If you thought for one second that I was going to start a brand new podcast and not bring over Generation Tux to join me, you are sorely mistaken. But you guys, there's a reason that I keep talking about them. There's a reason that I'm so obsessed with them. And one of them is all of the free offerings to you as the wedding couple. Number one, free swatches. If you want to do color comparison or compare it to any dresses or linens or florals, they will send you free swatches. Number two, a free home try-on for the wedding couple with free round-trip shipping. All of that's free. <laughs> Number three, with five paid rentals, the groom gets his suit rental for free. Number four, with seven paid rentals, the groom gets his rental for free and then gets to keep the suit. You guys, if I have not convinced you to check out Generation Tux at this point, I don't I don't know who will. Head on over to wolferandco.com forward slash suits to claim your free prize today. Hey, just because you're listening to this episode right now, you can access an exclusive summer promo from Generation Tux for the wedding couple. You get to enjoy $20 off on your suit rental. Now, this can't be combined with other offers, and you can't apply it to past checkouts or events. And this deal is exclusively available between June 26th and September 23rd in 2023. So if you're still in the market for your suit, hop on over to generationtux.com and use code WOLFERSUMMER. That's WOLFERSUMMER at checkout. 
Tip number five, rings. Get creative with the material for your rings. This, again, might have needed to be number one, but I already said it's not in order, so we're fine. When it comes to stones in your rings, it does not have to be diamond. Um, some people are really into that. Some people are not. Me personally, I have had CZs. I've had moissanite. I lost my engagement ring like a year and a half ago while we were gardening. <laughs> Haven't found it since. May she rest in peace. She's under an apple tree or something out there. So I am not of the mentality that I have to have a diamond uh, specifically. I know some people do feel that way. But also with my husband, we ended up getting him a wood ring off of Amazon that he's totally obsessed with and it was like $35. So if you're open to a couple different options, this can be really fun. This can be really creative. Of course, it makes sense to invest in a piece that's going to last you for a really long time. Is this wood ring going to last him for all eternity? No, but he never wears his metal ring because it doesn't fit him quite right. And it ended up not being the best choice for him anyways. So we, we came up with some flexibility there. Just if you are working with a budget, think through, does it make sense to spend 10 grand on a ring when a something, a fraction of that cost will last you just as long and be just as sufficient? There's emotions attached to this one, right? I'm aware of that. But if you're looking for ways to save money or you need permission from someone to be able to do it in this category specifically, you're welcome. Tip number six, buy a used or sample dress or off the rack. It is extremely tempting, and some people think that there's a little bit of bad juju to buy a used dress. I don't I don't subscribe to that. <laughs> there is no reason other than personal desire for you to go out and feel like you have to spend $2,500, $5,000, $10,000 on a wedding gown. Again, other than personal desire or maybe some pressure from family members or friends. If they want to foot the bill, that's conversation for you to have with them more specifically. But it's not inherently necessary, and I hope that you are feeling as we're going through all these tips, that you are feeling like someone in the industry is giving you permission to not subscribe to all of these industry standards. It is not necessary to have a brand new dress to say your I do's in. It can be used. It can be a sample dress. It can be off the rack. You have quite a few different options here where if you're trying to get scrappy with your finances, but you still want to look epic on your wedding day, buying a used dress and then getting it altered. The power here in how you look is the alterations themselves. So if you find a dress, I don't think you can go more than a handful of sizes, maybe two sizes above your actual size before it gets too complicated to alter it. I have a whole alterations guide. I'm going to toss it right up here if you guys want to check that out. But the power of a well-fitted gown or a well-fitted dress is in the alterations. So you could get a super cheap dress. I think my wedding dress was about 200 bucks, maybe 300, and I spent 200 on alterations. Altogether, whatever the combination of factors there were, I spent $500 on my wedding dress. And I personally think it looked absolutely fantastic and fit me like a glove. Tip number seven, hair and makeup. Again, great saving opportunity. This can be a huge cost. This can be one of those things where you're like, oh, I wasn't anticipating that, or I didn't realize that, that would be an extra fee, or I didn't even consider that. Well, most members of your wedding party could probably pretty easily do their own hair and makeup up or maybe do it for each other if you're trying to be cost saving for them specifically. It could still cost you $250, $300, and then adding a tip on top of that to get your hair and makeup done. There is extreme value to this. One of my best friends in the world is a cosmetologist that does wedding hair and wedding makeup. I'm not denying the value of what they do. I know her worth, I know her value, and I know she's worth every single penny, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the money to pull that off. So a great loophole to that is to go to a local cosmetology school, do a test run with them. You could also go to a makeup counter at a local department store. Again, you can do a test run with them or a makeup trial. 
You do not have to have the artist come to you. That can definitely increase the cost because it's more of a luxury. As far as your hair is concerned, you can go to your hairstylist, your regular hairstylist, if you choose to do so, or go to a place like Dry Bar to have your hair done for you. Again, to avoid that luxury tax, so to speak, of having someone come to you, the travel fee, the, the experience of getting ready there, it will shift what your morning looks like for sure. But if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. Tip number eight, keep the bridal party small. And this is coming from someone who had 10 people standing on my side and 11 people on my husband's side. I say this from experience and not to be a hypocrite. <laughs> but if you intend to give gifts to your wedding party in any capacity, the more people you have, the more it costs. Also, if you decide to do a bachelorette weekend or any sort of extraneous activities like that, it will be more costly if you have more people there. Of course, you're not paying for all of that out of your own pocket, I'm aware, but the smaller that your wedding party is, the more money that you will save in that category specifically. Tip number nine, skip save the dates. They are not necessary. They are definitely a fad. They have not always been a thing. They're super cute. I love them. They're really fun, but they're not a requirement. You do not have to send out a save the date at all. So if I'm the only person in the industry to tell you that, so be it, it's fine. <laughs> you would just need to send out your invitations ideally a little bit earlier, but it saves you not only on purchasing the design, having it printed, but also the postage as well. Instead, I would opt for sending your invitations out around the 8, 10, or 12-week mark to give people ample notice to let them know when your event is coming up and give them time to get requests into work. Tip number 10, have your guests RSVP online. Much like with Save the Dates, having a physical RSVP card, like a secondary piece of paper in your invitation, just adds up over time. Not everything on this list is gonna be a grand slam, a huge savings, but if you are consciously whittling away at some of the paper products that you have at your event, not only is it inherently a little bit more eco-friendly, but you're spending less money on it as well. So you don't have to send out an RSVP card with an envelope and a stamp on that envelope for them to return it to you. You can include just an RSVP card with your website for people to go online and RSVP, or you can simply put RSVP at, put your website on your actual invitation itself. Years ago, this used to be inappropriate etiquette to do that. I don't know if y'all know that, but like you weren't supposed to put your website on your invitation, but it's kind of morphed into this, like, why would we not do that? That's so silly. So it's okay. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to not send out a specific RSVP card, an envelope, and another postage stamp, because after a while, that postage stinking adds up. You know what I mean? Cut that out. <laughs> Cut it out. That's not, that's not what I meant it, but you know what I mean. Tip number 11, cut vendor hours. This does not work for everybody. I'm just gonna get this out really quickly because I know vendors watch this. Y'all, I am in this with you. I get it. I know how hard we work, but obviously if a couple is working on a budget, I think we can find ways to be either more affordable or simply say no if it's not something you wanna do. So that's to my vendors specifically. An eight hour day for a photographer and a videographer is definitely a long day for sure. Um, and that is several hours worth of dancing footage that you may or may not want. I'm going to be totally honest with you. There was one wedding where I asked a photographer, I'm like, what do you do during this time? Like when everyone's dancing for two, three hours, what are you doing? Because she was there to capture those moments, get some of the dancing footage and then be there for the grand exit. And she goes, honestly, between you and me, like at a certain point, I stopped taking photos because no one cares. And these aren't the photos that people print up. And I'll just walk around and take photos every once in a while but I kind of just like kill time until the grand exit. With the cost per hour for a photographer, again, worth every single penny, does it make sense? How badly do you want that grand exit photo? How badly do you want that grand exit footage for your videographer to be there, for your photographer to be there? How important is that to you? Is it worth spending a couple hundred dollars for that handful of photos? 
because frankly, you're probably not gonna be printing out a lot of these dancing photos, especially if it's hours upon hours. So if you are balling on a budget and you are looking for some ways to cut back, consider asking your photographer or videographer if they offer a package with less hours in it to help you save a little bit of coin. Because with a six hour package, you'll get all the stuff that you need from your event. All the pertinent details will still be captured, but you won't have hours of dancing footage that uh, you probably aren't gonna wade through anyways. Tip number 12, reuse florals in as many ways as possible if your florist is okay with this. There is a fee if you have your florist stick around and move them for you. Your florist will also actually have to kind of design them slightly differently so they can be used in multiple iterations throughout your event. But if you get creative with this, there is definitely a way that you can save some money here. If you're having an arbor piece done, typically it's done in something called a cage. If your florist is working with foam, that can literally just be cut off the arbor and placed down on your sweetheart table. Your bridesmaid bouquets can be put into, usually into vases that can be kind of sprinkled around your reception space. They may not work as effectively as centerpieces specifically because they're so tall, because the stems are so long, so they have something to hold on to. So I can't say it's gonna be like literally the perfect transition between bouquet and centerpiece but they can be reused in different spaces around your reception to keep their visual value going. Tip number 13, have a dessert table instead of cake. I will I will be on this train until the day I die. <laughs> a lot of people do not consume the cake. How do I know this? I see multiple tiers of cakes just thrown away. There's no boxes to send them home in. There's no Tupperware. There's nothing we can do. We have tried to save cakes before and I have literally seen an entire tier of a cake just tossed into the trash after an event because uh, no one was eating it. And that's not to say that there aren't cake lovers out there. I always have to say this. I get it. There are people out there that like cake, but I personally feel like it is way better investment to spend money on something that people will actually consume. So when you go for a dessert table, it pleases a wider array of palettes. Therefore, more people are more inclined to eat from that table and your money will be well spent. You also don't have to worry about cutting, plating, uh, forks, napkins, any of that extra stuff with the dessert table necessarily. If it's all finger food, it's just very easy to eat. And then you skip those added costs that come with an already expensive cake. Tip number 14, skip the lounge. They are gorgeous, but usually they are commandeered by one or two families that plunk down and then live there for the rest of the night. All that we really get out of that is like one photo, like just a momentary she gorgeous moment, right? And it's great and like it'll provide a comfortable spot for a couple people to sit, but it's not something that can be widely used across the board by a even a, a small percentage of your guest count. It's really just gonna kind of be monopolized by one group um, and be there for a pretty photo. And I love lounge photos. I think they're delicious. I love the textures they bring and I love what they offer, right? They're dreamy, but practically speaking, they're not practical. Are you feeling lost or overwhelmed with wedding planning? Why does this also sound like an infomercial? <laughs> Take a deep breath. You are in the right place. I've put together this amazing, if I do say so myself, wedding planning checklist that tells you all the things that you need to be doing and when you need to be doing them. A step-by-step -step path just for you. You can grab your step-by-step -step wedding planning checklist now at weddingchecklist.co. That's weddingchecklist.co. Tip number 15, have a budget bar. Instead of opting for a full hosted bar, which means that you or whoever is paying for your event, host the entire bar for the entire evening. You can get a little bit creative with this, right? You can instead opt for a cash bar, which is I'm finding out after doing YouTube for five years uh, and wedding planning for seven, that cash bars are very cultural. <laughs> there are some countries that do this like 
this is all they do, that all they do is cash bars. So it kind of depends on where you come from. Uh, but other places are not used to them at all or consider them tacky. So proceed as you see best fit in that category. However, I would encourage you to take it a step further and opt for beer and wine only. If you really want to have some sort of mixed drink or some sort of hard alcohol involved, keep it to a limited number of drinks because then you don't have to worry about adding on mixers and toppings and hiring a professional bartender who knows how to do this mixing. Some drinks are not as simple as just pouring a couple things together and take a lot more effort. They take a professional that knows what they're doing. And if you think about it, if it requires shaking, then it's going to take a longer time. So you'll probably need more bartenders to make sure your guests are being served in a timely manner. Tip number 16, skip the champagne toasts. A lot of people don't like champagne. Uh, a lot of it goes unfinished or undrank, undrunken. You, you, you know the thing. And just sits on the tables. And if you skip a champagne toast, then you don't have to have servers pour it and deliver it to the table side. That then would be more labor cost per hour. Which brings us to point number 17. Do not offer any sort of table side service. We don't need wine at the table. Red and white because people can be really specific and may not want it. Maybe open the bottle and then it can't really be transported effectively afterwards. And then they don't drink it all. It creates a lot of variables here for wasted money opportunities. Right? As well as the labor cost of having somebody serve that. Tip number 18. Skip printed stationery. That is menus. That is programs. That is escort cards. Find ways to be effectively communicate this. Sure, if you would like for your menu to be displayed, have it at your buffet table instead so someone can take a gander at it there while they're awkwardly waiting in line next to someone that they don't know. At least they have something to do with their eyeballs and they don't have to enter into uncomfortable conversation. Same thing can be said with your program. You can choose to have a standing sign for your program specifically if you would like to let people know the order of events, but most of the time they're just there to celebrate your love story, enjoy some free alcohol, and some free food. So it's not necessarily inherently important that you show your program to everybody. Escort cards are great. They're super important if you do have a plated meal. If you do not have a plated meal, they are not necessary. You can do a seating chart instead. Tip number 19, and this always gets the people going when I mention this, and I've discovered a couple years later after doing the original video that this is, again, a deeply cultural thing. But skip the favors if your aunties will allow it. The amount of times I see, I'm getting squeaky. The amount of times I see favors left over is obscene. It's obscene. And it's it breaks my heart because couples work really hard on putting these together and personalizing them or having a lot of fun with them. And I totally get it. Like you want to, it is a very traditional thing. In fact, most traditionally it's Jordan almonds in a lot of capacities in a lot, a lot of places. Uh, something sweet to like take home with you and break your tooth on. But a lot of that gets left behind. So if you feel comfortable doing so, ditch them. Totally not necessary. Tip number 20, cut your guest count. I did a whole video on this channel called The Number One Budget Killer, and uh, spoiler alert, it's the amount of people you invite. And this is also very rich coming from someone who had 140 people at her wedding. I like big events, I have a lot of fun with them, but I also was willing to sacrifice in some of the other areas that we have currently listed uh, that I've already discussed in order to make this happen. But really and truly, a huge portion of your budget is specifically dictated by how many people you decide to invite. The less people you invite, Inherently, ideally, and in most case scenarios, the less expensive your event is going to be. If you're not sure who to invite or if you feel pressured to invite a large group of people, I totally get it. It can be really difficult. I have a video coming out in a couple weeks on how to do that specifically, so be sure that you are subscribed and we can walk through that together because I know there's emotions involved in this and it's very easy to be flippant and be like, just invite less people. And you're like, I have feelings. I get it. 
And we'll walk through that in a few weeks, all right? And then the very last tip, all right? The very last tip is to hire a planner. Shameless plug. I think I said this in the original iteration of this video, and I'm going to say it again. The best way that you can save money is to educate yourself on the wedding industry specifically. And the fastest way to do that is to work with someone who knows what they're talking about. And while that sounds counterintuitive to spend more money to be able to save money, if you can find a local planner in your area that knows vendors, that has discount codes, that can help you to really crack this code personally, that is a really effective use of your money to make sure that you are allocating everything else effectively. Now, that is not necessarily a cost that is working for everybody's budget. That is why I created the master plan. We literally figured out how to distill and bottle up my long-term planning services into a monthly subscription for you guys to show you how to plan your wedding. And I show up every month for live calls to help you walk through that as well. You've never done this before. You're not supposed to know what you're doing. You do need some sort of educational process throughout this, which I know sounds like totally, ugh. you're like, this is not school. You're right. It's not. But at a certain point, if you want to make sure that you are being effective with your finances, you need to know where and how to allocate them as effectively as possible. If you are struggling with wedding planning and you have questions and you just need someone to listen and to chat with, come join us in the Master Plan community over at themasterplanwed.com. I would love to have you in there. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't done so already, subscribe, jump on over to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave a five-star review so we can let the podcast people know that Jamie knows what she's talking about sometimes. <laughs> and until next time, bye guys. <laughs>